And good evening. This is the Tech Travel Geeks podcast, episode seven. Sadly, this week, Lukash can't join us. He's behind the Great Firewall in China, uh, currently in Beijing. So he won't be able to join us in tonight's episode. But to make up for Lukash's absence, we have an awesome guest. I'm joined by my twin from the other side of the Atlantic, or maybe he's from this side of the Atlantic. We'll find out later in the podcast. But he's my twin from another mother, Chris Pick. Good evening, Chris, or good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon. It's uh, about one o'clock here in the afternoon, so uh, good to yes. be with you. So, so where where are you? Where are you at the moment, Chris? Uh, I'm currently in Seattle. Uh, I live just in a an island called Bainbridge Island, just west of downtown Seattle in Washington, on the west coast of the United States. Um, and uh, kind of nice sunny day out. So lucky you. It's already dark here. It's rainy, miserable. So <laughs> looking at your your Instagram, it's always. Uh, awesome views on the ferry to and from the island. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, it's a daily commute for me, but it's uh, one of the ways I like to travel. Excellent. And so who are you? What do you do? What? what who is Chris Pick? <laughs> so uh, I'm, a, I'd say, an Android enthusiast. Uh, I've been doing Android software development for 10 years now and uh, run an Android team up in Seattle. And from a Technical side—that's for my technical side, I suppose—and what I do for to pay for my fun travels. Um, I was actually born in Spain. That's grew up in Belgium, so yes, I'm from the other side of the the pond technically. And uh, my parents traveled a lot by airplane when I was young, so that's one of the things uh, I like to impart to my two children and my wife is taking them on different experiences, experiencing different cultures, and uh, kind of opening their eyes to the world more than this—you know—the U.S. centric view. You typically find over here. That's awesome. And uh, we met uh, as part of your, let's say, work slash leisure travels, didn't we? Yes, we did. I uh, believe it was uh, originally met in uh, Amsterdam. Yes, uh, it was the Big Android Barbecue 2015. Yes, that is correct. That was the marshmallow year. Sounds about right. Yes, we, we, we revived the banana for scale at that event, and I'm still keeping that going in various forms. Sounds good. Sounds good. I should have had one behind me, but, you know, <laughs> not quite as prepared as I should have been. Next time, next time. So you, you said you grew up uh, in Belgium. Uh, that was in the 80s? Yeah, that was in the uh, 80s. I moved out to the United States in 89, so obviously things have changed a lot. You know, the uh, Berlin Wall fell after I left. You know, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of big changes, but... Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's quite the heyday of flying when I was traveling then, but it was certainly uh, left a good impression and was able to, you know, visit the cockpit almost in every flight and talk to the pilots, you know, a different time of flying. Yes, it was sadly for security reasons that's very rare nowadays. Yeah. Uh, have your kids been in, in a cockpit? Um, so, yes, uh, on the ground they have. They've been able to talk to pilots, you know, either before or after flight. They're fortunate that... Um, Two of my wife's cousins are commercial airline pilots. They're captains for a regional airline in the United States. So they've had the opportunity to go up in a you know small little Cessna 172 and uh, had some pretty good experiences with that. So they're they're pretty excited about flying when we do travel. They're not scared or anything. They're really awesome. happy. And uh, you you've been traveling quite a lot with the family recently. Looking at your your social media posts. So last year you were in the UK visiting visiting the 
the the country where I live at the moment. And this year you you took the family to the Cook Islands in the middle of the Pacific. That is correct. Um, I actually went to the Cook Islands last fall also uh, to celebrate my 40th birthday. Uh, just me and my wife get away, left the uh, our two kids with my in-laws and uh, had a wonderful two weeks or I guess 12 days in the Cook Islands. And we loved it so much we decided we wanted to take the children back with us. And... Uh, also take my mother along since my father's passed away a few years ago. She doesn't really travel for, for fun. So we thought it'd be good to bring her along with us and just have a little bit of uh, relaxation in the South Pacific. So really fun times kind of, uh, got a great deal on some tickets. I can tell you more about those if you're, you're interested <laughs> and, uh, got to fly a uh, business class lay flat the, uh, the whole way. So that's pretty good. Awesome. So just, just to give our, our listeners a bit of context, um, how would you describe the Cook Islands? Um, I've heard of it as kind of how how Hawaii was like 40, 50 years ago. Um, there's no like major chains of restaurants or hotels. Um, it's r relatively quite small and spread out across multiple islands. as one kind of big island. From a, what it looks like, you know, you think of Bora Bora or somewhere in Tahiti with the blue waters, basically the same thing. It's just, I think it's about an hour and half flight from French Polynesia. So very similar uh, weather, um, just a lot less expensive and kind of more down to earth, more more in touch with uh, with everyone. And by the looks of your Instagram posts, awesome seafood. Amazing seafood. Uh, and it, the funny thing is, and maybe this, this is a little different, I guess, for New Zealanders who think it's more expensive, but being from the States, the uh, basically 70 cents on the dollar for what we're paying. So a lot of the food and everything we bought, which was delicious almost everywhere we went in the Cook Islands, you know, you see the price and then you take 30% off for the exchange rate. So it feels, it feels actually quite reasonable. So that's very good. And so is it somewhere you're planning on going back to? Um, yeah, my wife actually, it's her favorite place now to travel and she wants to go back. Um, We've actually got a trip coming up this October, but we're going to Cabo. Um, but I kind of want to take a little break from uh, the Cook Islands, either take some maybe Southeast Asia next year, or if we did New Zealand, maybe do like a 10-day New Zealand trip, and then maybe three or four days on the way back in the Cook Islands just to kind of appease my wife and have a little bit of decompression on the way back. Very good. So does your, your wife enjoy traveling long haul? Actually, no. Um, she did well. She did not. Uh, she's a bit claustrophobic, um, and four hours was about as much um, time as she really wanted to spend traveling in a plane. And I guess it was 2015, so about a little three and a half years ago. Um, I found some tickets to Fiji, and it was, you know, it's about I want to say 11 or 12 hours, I think, from LA. And I, my wife was like, okay, I'll try this one thing. And she flew it. She's like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. So since then, she's been a lot more open to traveling longer distance now. Uh, I've been kind of collecting miles and points and kind of gaming the, uh, playing the points games and the miles games. So we've been able to take some of our trips using, uh, or flying business class, lay flat. So it's even more appealing to her. Oh, dear. Uh, 
Chris seems to have frozen. Hopefully it's just a temporary freeze. Nope, oh, it sounds as if he's almost back. You're back, Chris. Sorry, there's a bit I, of a freeze there. Yeah, sorry, the Wi-Fi dropped for some reason. Sorry, uh, where was I can continue? So you're, you're just saying about your lay-flat bed. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, my wife having being able to take a lay-flat bed. Yeah. Okay, then. So you, you, you've you traveled long haul recently. Your wife's not entirely comfortable with it, but thanks to your making efficient use of loyalty schemes, you've always managed to upgrade for, for long-haul flights with the family, which is very that, nice of you. That and actually being able to find some good deals. Uh, I, and I can speak about that a little bit if you want. Um, like Air New very Zealand. Good, yeah. Yeah, um, so Air New Zealand, um, the last two years, they've had some incredible specials on Cyber Monday, which for I'm not sure if that's a, a thing over in the EU, but it, it's becoming becoming it not because of the accountancy rules, but purely because of consumerism and knock on effect from the US. Yeah, so they've the past two years they've had some spectacular deals from LA to the Cook Islands, um, where you can get a, a round trip or a return. A, economy ticket for less than $500. Wow. To, from LA to the direct to Rarotonga. And they have had business class for anywhere from 1800 to 2000 return. So, you know, it's when you consider the regular economy ticket not on sale is about 1400 kind of saying, Hey, I'll, I'll spend an extra 300 to be able to sleep and lay flat the entire trip's not too much of a stretch for me. That's really good. And Air New Zealand have excellent customer service. They're a friendly airline. I would say oh, yeah. the staff have almost as good a sense of humor as KLM. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been really impressed with the service on board the airline. The, the staff on Air New Zealand has been amazing. We've flown them, so happy to fly them again. That's great. And where do you search for your, your flights on Air New Zealand? Directly with Air New Zealand, or do you use another search engine? I, I use like a handful of things for Air New Zealand. It's mainly in their uh, their social feeds, either Twitter or Facebook. Um, but then also like for finding low flights, if I'm trying to find something that's not necessarily you know a spectacular deal like that, um, using some like Skyscan or Google Flights um, to just try and narrow down like when a cheaper time to fly is. Awesome. And do you, do you use price alerts or do you just manually go and search? A uh, bit of both, uh, depending on if we know where we want to go. Sometimes it's more of a just rooting around and finding something than maybe setting a price alert. Um, it's usually how it ends up. But. That, that's awesome. Um, and obviously, you, when you then actually get to travel, uh, you you tend to travel light, as far as I can recall. Is that correct? I do tend to travel a little light, but it, it also depends on where I'm going and what I'm doing. Uh, for business, it's usually pretty light. If I've got the family with me, it tends to get a little heavier. And then if scuba diving's involved or, you know, something usually even heavier than that. <laughs> yes, that, that's understandable. So um, apart from the Fiji Islands, what's a memorable trip you've been on recently? Well, Fiji, the Cook Islands... Um, we actually, it was more of a, we did a flight. Um, this was actually one of the flights I think I found where it's being able to use, when you're searching for flights, being able to expand it beyond just your local airport. So I was trying to, I wanted to, we wanted to take a family. Oh, he's moving back. back. Sorry about yes, that. 
Yeah, I yeah. have switched over to my Android phone as backup. Awesome. So we so expect better reliability, reliability of the connection. Of the connection. Yeah, I dropped my video quality a little bit. Hopefully that helps too. But uh, yeah, so the last uh, one trip was a cruise to the Eastern Caribbean, and we wanted to get to Barbados. And I kind of expanded my area to include uh, airports such as Seattle, but also Vancouver. Okay, so that's just more. a two, two to three hour drive from uh, from Seattle. That is correct. Yeah, it's about a three hour drive with a border crossing to get there. So we ended up actually flying Vancouver, Toronto, Toronto to Barbados. And it, I mean, we ended up saving, I think it was almost like 40%. Of You're saying you, you managed to save 40% uh, on the cost of the flights to Barbados from Seattle flying from Vancouver rather than Seattle. That is correct, yes. Wow, that's that's really impressive. And Barbados is a great tourist destination just just off the Caribbean, let's call it Arc. Mm-hmm. And it's very popular with Canadians, so it may just be a market uh, supply and demand issue there. Oh, it's caused the price difference. Yeah, and then uh obviously I've done a we've done a good family trip to the UK, not maybe as glamorous as, you know, some remote, far-off location. And um, I guess five years ago was a, a trip to the to Grand Cay- or to the Cayman Islands, so another kind of Caribbean destination. But like I mentioned earlier, hopefully trying to get outside a little bit and go to Southeast Asia oh, yeah. maybe next year. That's good. And speaking of Southeast Asia, you recently – did a crazy trip to optimize your miles and status collection. Uh, what was that trip, Chris? I, I was Which following it on Google+. What are you talking about? I've done two. <laughs> well, there's <laughs> one Australian one and one Hong Kong one in particular, which I was looking in awe at, saying, wow, I should really start doing things like this. Yes, yeah, so to, for, the, um, for, the, for the loyalty programs, um, actually it was after we'd taken the trip to Barbados, um, I had a gold status with uh, Alaska Airlines, and I didn't want to pay the baggage fee on Air Canada. So I did a status match with um, United Airlines, which is a member of the Star Alliance, and got their gold status for three months while I had to earn 12,000 miles. And it was never my intent really to earn 12,000 miles on United. It was just, hey, let me use the gets me some lounge access along the way because I was doing international travel and get free bags, which when traveling with a family with a cruise for a couple weeks, I think it was like three bags or so. So it saved us about $300. And when we got back, um, it was about four weeks until my three month, you know, uh, qualification program was over for matching. And I saw a ticket that was Seattle to, I think it was San Francisco to Sydney for $600. I was like, oh, I wanted to go to Sydney. So I booked, the, I booked the ticket and I was actually going for a few days. And then my wife chimed in and said, you know, I, I want to visit Sydney too. So you better not go do anything fun there while you're there because I want to do it when we go. So I was like, okay. And she didn't have the opportunity to, to travel with me. So I ended up changing my reservation to be basically a four and a half hour layover in Sydney and flew right back. So. So on my flight, I actually worked. Uh, United actually had some pretty good Wi-Fi, and at the time, it was pretty inexpensive. I think it was like $18 each way for the entire flight. 
And I worked the entire flight there, uh, used the lounge access because I was gold with the Star Alliance. Um, I think I went to Singapore Airlines lounge, if I remember correctly. Took a shower, had breakfast, went to some uh, gift card shopping, stuck my head outside the airport to breathe some Australian air just to say I've done it. And um, went back and got on the flight and then slept the entire way back. So I didn't even have to take a day off of work. That's wasn't sure which day I was actually in, but I didn't have to take a day off of work. And yeah, then, so you went, you went across the time, uh, so, so the daytime line twice in that trip. Yes, in I think it was 36 hours. I forget how many. Actually, I think door to door, I think I was gone 40 hours. So less than two days. And you flew from Seattle to Sydney and back. Yeah. Just for the hell of it. Just for the hell of it. So That is admirable. Well done, sir. Thank you. And then the other one was a, um, a trip, as you mentioned, Hong Kong. Uh, there was a, I guess, there was an airfare war going on, I think a little over a year ago, where tickets to Hong Kong were as low as, I think it was $350 round trip. But you actually had to leave out of um, San Francisco. So I flew down to San Francisco, uh, and this was on Delta. Flew down on Delta, and uh, I think I used, I think I've got a ticket for $99, or I can't even remember if I used points, and then flew out, and it actually came through Seattle and went from Seattle to Hong Kong direct. So on the way back, I just got off the plane in Seattle and just didn't get on the return like to San Francisco. And that then earned you the Sky Team uh, status for the year. That was actually... I was trying. I was looking at getting status that year. Um, I think I only ended up with a silver, um, but yeah, it gave me status and was relatively inexpensive. And I got to spend two nights in Hong Kong, which was pretty remarkable. Get it? Had an overcoat made in twenty four hours. So that was pretty neat too. Hong Kong tailors uh, still doing an awesome job. Oh, definitely, definitely. Very good. So. That is really clever. So you, you essentially hunt for the best value flights that will give you the highest mileage and status points and then just take them. Just head off on a little adventure, cross the Pacific Ocean, and maybe even jump into the Southern Hemisphere whilst you're at it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what happened for there. For And for United, it gave me gold for, I think, like 14 months, which was pretty useful for some of my trips. And um, the main thing is, is one of the nice things, is at least for like the Star Alliance, is having lounge access on international travel if you're flying on a on a partner. So that gave us, you know, access on to the lounges and free luggage and things like that. Yeah, I think that the lounge access is the biggest benefits uh, for, for from your status. The facilities to, be, as you said, go and take a shower or to have a, a quiet meal, snack, or nap mm -hmm. in between flights. Uh, in particular for me, I, I like breaking up my flights. I don't like the particularly long single segments. I prefer having five or six, maybe seven hours on per leg and a break to get off the plane, stretch my legs, maybe have a refreshment in a lounge, and then carry on with my journey. Uh, you know, I'd say that for me, I'm somewhat in the same boat, but it really depends if I'm flying in economy or in business class. Um, for economy, obviously, sitting in that seat for 
even though I was in like the premium economy on United from the trip to Sydney, you know, that's a long flight to be sitting in one one seat. Uh, the 787 was nice with the air and made, made me feel a lot more refreshed when I landed. But having like the trip to the Cook Islands, which is about 10 hours of flight time, it's almost not enough time to get any good kind of sleep because you've got two hours from takeoff to finish your meal service if you're going to eat, and then two hours before waking up or before landing, they wake you up for your morning meal service, which basically leaves you with, you know, five hours, six hours at the most of uh, being able to sleep. So um, if you're trying to get eight hours, it's almost like you need a 12 or 13 hour flight with a business class to, to make it really <laughs> worth it. And as a result, what's your take on the apparently imminent 20-hour flights from London to Sydney, which will be arriving in 2021-2022? I think I should save my points and try and make one of the flights and do it in business or first class and have a, have a nice, relaxing flight. Yes, um, I'm looking forward to that. It's been one of the biggest challenges uh, for the aviation industry is to be able to fly almost literally from one end of the planet to the other. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty impressive feat. And that's going to be happening thanks to the Boeing 777X and the next generation Airbus A350, apparently. Yeah, Qantas are currently working with them on, on that, that yeah. new configuration of aircraft. Yeah, so I can't wait for it. What we could do is maybe catch up in Sydney in the lounge on just for four hours and then head back. Well, there you that go. Would, that sounds like a good. That'd be a great time to have a, a hangout on air and, blah, you know, <laughs> from from one of the lounges in yeah. the airport just before flying back across, halfway across the world. That is a very first world slash uh, large carbon footprint way of doing things, but that's the way we roll at Tech Travel Geeks. Yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose of uh, <laughs> of doing this virtually, doesn't it? It does. Next time, I'll, I'll just fly to Seattle. Let's let's agree on that. Sounds great. Good, good. So um, we've talked about your recent travels, your crazy travels. Uh, obviously, you, we met at the Big Android Barbecue in Amsterdam in Europe. We've caught up at, I think, another edition of the... Or no, you went at the 2016 edition. That was Corey uh, I met up with there. Uh, but we did meet up in Texas at the Big Android Barbecue uh, there. Yes. You have a, a bit of a connection to Texas as well as to Belgium. Yeah, I mean, I lived in Texas for 25 years. When I moved from Belgium, I moved to Texas and uh, lived there until about four years ago. So um, I met a few people in the Android community that were there, did a couple startups, and then uh, was involved in volunteering for the big Android barbecue. Very good. And how, how long, what edition of the big Android barbecue did you become involved at? Um, I actually just saw that the other day, and I'm I'm trying to see if I can remember. I think it was 2012 wow. was the first one I think that I went to. So that was a that was a good four or five years of big Android barbecues you were at. Yes, that is correct. 
And to give our, our listeners a bit of context, the Big Android Barbecue was an enthusiast and developer Android conference held in Texas, uh, surrounded by grills of good meat, uh, lots of good chats talks. It was supported by lots of companies involved in Android development and applications of Android as an op operating system, including Google. And Chris was helping out in something called the Big Android Barbecue. What was it? The Kitchen? The Code Kitchen. The Code Kitchen. And what was the Big Android Barbecue Code Kitchen? Basically, it was a way to kickstart people's, uh, people's interest in doing programming on Android. Um, basically, it's a way for us to help them get started, answer any questions, and try and help them over the first uh, kind of learning curve that they reach and uh, help them get through it and see that you know, it's not as daunting a task as, as it may look like from the outside. That's awesome. And uh, I, I participated in a couple myself, one in Amsterdam and the follow-up event that we had in Edinburgh in 2016 as well. So, yes, it was a great, great uh, meet, meet up and get great introduction to Android development for people who had never developed or developed for Android before. Yeah. Very good. And... Speaking of, of Android, what you what's the, your device of choice? What's your main Android device nowadays? It's the uh, Pixel XL, the first gen one. I've been using it for now, basically since it launched. It's got a big crack down the center of the screen, and uh, I'm holding out on the Pixel Three. I guess early October release, hopefully. Very good. And is that the one you ordered in, in a bar at the Big Android Barbecue in, in Texas in 2016? I believe it is. Sounds like it. <laughs> Very good. Um, as well as, as that phone, Chris also managed to order some Trump memorabilia and a large, large container of lubricant for our friend Martin. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's time for another story. Uh, yes, that's time for another. Having had Martin on the show and ex have him explain those items, he yes, do a much better job than myself. We, we we might even get him to to wear his "Make America Great Again" hat. We'll see. <laughs> right, um, moving on. What is your packing like when you're traveling for for business? Say your normal commute between San Francisco and Seattle. What, how do you pack for that? Um, usually it's pretty light. Um, usually my trips to San Francisco are usually three or four nights. Um, I just take a carry-on, hard-sided carry-on uh, roller, and I just roll all my clothes up. Uh, I guess it's a style that was introduced, I think, by the military for being able to get your clothes nice and compressed and in a small area. It doesn't really do well if you've got uh, shirts that need to be ironed because it does wrinkle them quite badly. But if you're like me and I don't wear shirts like that, it's <laughs> quite easy to wear, you know, some of these like uh, Nike dry fit shirts that don't really wrinkle at all. So um, basically I just roll everything up and I can usually fit it almost all my clothes in half a carry on. And then That's I've got cool. a backpack with all my uh, electronic goodies. Very good. And what's in your electronics goodies uh, backpack? What what do you carry with you? 
Um, usually a lot of cables and chargers for various things, just because I always feel like I'm going to leave one behind and then be out of luck. Uh, but usually I've got my Pixel XL, that's usually all me. I usually carry one or two Anchor uh, 20,000 milliamp hour chargers with me. Um, they're kind of heavy, but they keep my phone charged. Fortunately, most of the trips between Seattle and San Francisco are pretty quick, and they usually have some kind of onboard charging on the seats, so it's usually not too critical. Um, and then my Bose QC35 headphones, just so I can kind of tune out, cut out all the noise. And then a Kindle Paperwhite, uh, if I just want to do some reading. Uh, and then if I'm traveling more for leisure, I've got about five other things that I take. Um, for business, obviously, I take my work laptop, too. OK. And um, you mentioned you, you read on your Kindle Paperwhite. What apps do you use for media when traveling? What are your preferred media apps for smartphones, tablets, or laptop when, tra when, when you I'm, travel? I'm pretty boring when it comes to that, I'd say. Um, I mean, I use uh, Google Play quite a lot. Uh, both for Google Play Music and Google Play uh, movies, so I've got like you know movies and TV shows that I'll I'll sync offline. Uh, Netflix use that also, and then I also use Plex uh, every once in a while. And I've got my own home Plex server where I've record some TV shows using the DVR function, and I'll sync those to my device. So if I want to catch something that's not uh, necessarily on one of the other platforms, I can watch it if necessary. That's awesome. And do you use anything for podcasts? Uh, usually not, no. Uh, it's, it's interesting. My When I'm listening to podcasts, it's usually at home. Um, I don't know what it is about travel. It's like podcasts are the last thing on my mind when I'm traveling, unfortunately, which is kind of ironic with this, with this conversation. No, that, that makes sense. It's, it's all very subjective. Uh, yeah. do, do you subscribe to a music service? Um, just the Google Play or YouTube Red, whatever you want to call it, where you get the, the free music. Yeah. That's, not free, but unlimited. Yes, that, that, that's one of the more popular uh, music services, Google Play Music, in the Android community. I myself uh, subscribe to that. And you mentioned your headphones, Bose QC35s? Mm-hmm. Very good. You're you're not the first guest on the on the on the show who has has endorsed that product. I use them myself when traveling. I have the QC thirty five twos, the ones with Google Assistant. Oh, nice. I have the older version, but I find the battery life to be impeccable and the recharging to be very fast. So I'm I can usually do a whole trip and not ever run the battery down. Very good. And do you do you what was I going to say? Oh, yes. Um, with the Bose QC35s, do you find the noise cancellation to be sufficient on, on flights? Uh, yeah. I think noise cancellation is somewhat subjective because of you know, how, they, how they actually do the noise cancellation, canceling out the, the noise that you're hearing. It's for the, I think it's pretty, pretty good to kind of drown out that monotonous roar of the engines or whatever that's going on. You can still kind of hear some conversation if you like paying attention to it. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's really not quite nice. And usually what I end up find what I find myself doing is if I've had a, a trip where I'm either leaving very early in the morning or late at night, getting back and I've got, you know, time for an hour nap on the flight, I'll pop those on and just kind of 
turn the music on a little bit and I don't hear a thing and I'll just snooze, take a quick, you know, hour long nap. That's good. Yeah, that, that's interesting that you too are a Bose QC35 user. And okay, so you've you you you're a roller. Do you have you have you ever used packing cubes? Never used packing cubes. Not familiar with them actually. Um, so they're essentially little uh, nylon one-panel netting cubes or uh, parallelipeds uh, shaped. Uh, bags for keeping your clothes safe so you can maybe have an outfit set up in a little cube which mm. makes it easier to to move stuff around whilst packing um some people like to roll and then put the rolled clothes into packing cubes some people just prefer to fold and put into packing cubes but because of their their sort of cubic like shape they it makes it easier to to pack into carry-ons or larger suitcases very nice. I'll have to look into those. I have not seen those. Amazon have their own Amazon Basics version as well. So if oh, you okay. don't want to wait six weeks for them to be delivered from China on AliExpress.com, you can order them from Amazon too. Sounds good. Good, good. And uh, moving on, what do you think technology will do for travelers? Regardless of the aircrafts, as we mentioned earlier, and the searching and booking phase of travel, what technologies do you think will help travelers and give them a better experience in the coming years? From a very high level, I hope that like the, the new changes for the GPS navigation um, allows for flights to you know, have better on-time capabilities. Um, you know, from the new GPS, I forget the actual terminology for it, but some new GPS navigation that's um, that they're starting to roll out. And then I'm really hoping that on the plane, that there's not all flights obviously have charging options, not all flights have Wi-Fi. Some of the, I've noticed like a lot of the plugs that you have um, that have the US plugs for charging. And obviously they're like multi, they're internationalized plugs, right? They have got like, 10 different sockets in one in one socket, if you will, so it fits kind of everything. The US plugs, I found, I'm not sure if it's from overuse, but they tend to fall out pretty easily. So if I've got a high-speed charger, and I try to plug it in, I've noticed that it falls out pretty easily from where they're from where they're situated. So I'm hoping like just from a technology standpoint, they get a little bit better at like providing charging options uh, you know, while you're flying. And then because there's so many airlines taking away the um, in-flight entertainment, the IFE systems, better ways to hold your device and have it, you know, um, set up with like either like a tablet holder or a phone holder or something else that doesn't really get in the way. It's not going to fall out and it's not going to break. And it's, that's what I'm looking forward to is improvements around those areas. That's great. So you've noticed that some some of the airlines that you fly on are starting to take the in-flight entertainment out of aircraft? Yeah, so um, like Alaska Airlines no longer has in-flight entertainment, and I believe they merged with uh, Virgin. Uh, like they did their, I know they merged with Virgin, but Virgin had IFEs, and Alaska had like tablets that you could rent. I think they, I don't think I've seen them even renting the tablets lately, but they have Wi-Fi on board now where you basically 
bring your own device and connect to the Wi-Fi. You can watch the shows and stuff um, for free from your own device. But there's you know, not an easy way to to kind of prop your device up unless you bring like a little device stand or you know, which typically I bring something to do. But um, it's still a little annoying that it's like sits on the the fold down table and it's like if someone's got to get up and get past you, it's like I've got to pull everything up, move my charging wires around. And, yeah, I, I noticed that by pure luck, uh, on a short foothold U European flight, one of the ones which never has in-flight entertainment, my Tesco Huddle tablet a few years ago, the casing wedged perfectly into the Airbus A320 uh, magazine holder at the top of the seat. So I could just wedge the tablet in, and it acted as in-flight entertainment perfectly. Nice. But that was only one particular aircraft with... Uh, from Lufthansa, right, right. That. and that was usually the Frankfurt to Milan route. Uh, sadly, I don't fly with them anymore, but with KLM, it's not really much of an issue. Cool. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting, though, that the, the airlines are now relying on the user's own devices for in-flight entertainment. Yeah. I, it makes less sense for long-haul flights, though. Yeah, I think it makes less sense for long-haul, but then again, I found that there's only so many entertainment options they can offer you on a long haul. So like out of all the movies on my trip to the Cook Islands, I think there was only one movie that I actually wanted to watch or, you know, that actually interested me enough to watch. So on the way there, I think I watched, um, I can't even remember what it was. I had some, Oh, I think it was Silicon Valley. I think I <laughs> <laughs> never watched that. So I'd actually downloaded all the seasons and was watching that. And then on the way back, I, I watched, uh, I think it was Tomb Raider. And that was like the only movie that really interested me to on the, out of the selection. So I think having that mix is, is pretty good. But obviously from weight and cost and everything else, it, it makes sense, especially on shorter haul domestic. To, to cut that. Yeah. No, that's great. So no, that, that's interesting. That's uh, something I hadn't thought about because it's not really something I notice. I, I don't fly internally in the U.S. that often with that uh, variety of airlines to notice that sort of thing. So that's interesting. And uh, what's your upcoming planned travel? What's your next trip that you think you're going to start planning? Well, next trip I'm taking, we've actually got an exchange student from Belgium living with us. Um, so we're actually taking a family trip plus exchange student to Cabo San Lucas in Mexico this October. Um, just taking a week, Saturday to Saturday, and uh, just having a little time out there, explore a little bit of the Hispanic culture in Mexico, and uh, maybe swim with some whale sharks. Awesome. That sounds really great. Yeah. And for listeners to the of the Tech Travel Geeks podcast, where can they follow you uh, on social media to see your, your posts about that? Um, actually, they, they can follow me on um, Instagram, although I can't remember my Instagram name. I don't know if you have that handy. I should I'll just be a moment. <laughs> Show, shows how uh, it's uh, Crispix77. It's C-H-R-I-S-P-I-X-7-7. usually post uh, a lot of my travels and uh, photos of the, my commute on the ferry, which is uh, supposedly the most scenic commute in North America. It is. It's very, very scenic. And uh, you're, the, the weather in Seattle is very similar to the weather in, in Scotland. It's very changeable. You yes. can have between four and five seasons in one day. 
So it's it's interesting to see you going through, especially in, in fall and winter, going through uh, the ferry terminal with dark grey weather and then suddenly it's beautiful sunshine on the way back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yes, uh, you can follow Chris on Instagram, chrispix77, that's C-H-R-I-S-P-I-X-7-7. And they can follow you on Twitter and Google Plus as well. On Twitter, you're at vmenu. Mm-hmm. And on Google Plus, you're Chris Pick. Yep. Although I'm not as active on uh, Google Plus as as before, uh, but yeah, I, I think we've all dropped off Google Plus. <laughs> uh, sadly, the there are still some very active communities within Google Plus, as in specifically for Android apps and software development, and particular interest groups like Pokemon Go or Ingress. But as a public social network, it seems to be becoming quite quiet. Yes. That's great. Um, Well, thanks very much for being a guest on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. And thanks to our listeners for listening. Hey, sorry sorry to interrupt. I did have one thing that we talked about earlier that you did not touch on that I did want to share. Okay, go ahead. What what would you like to share? The low tech tip. That sounds great. Yeah, so um, my low-tech tip is going to be very low-tech. It's getting printed paper boarding passes every time I fly. Uh, I don't like using, like, a smartwatch. Um, I found that, like, some of the scanners, like, you actually have to try and wedge your arm in between the scanner. It's like a little scene. you got to try and get your wrist in there, and it just doesn't work, so you got to take your watch off. Um, and then, you know, just having to set mess with the brightness and if I've got a crack in the screen... I found that the paper ones are are pretty much foolproof, and I actually take a photo of them just in the event that something happens with my with my travels. Uh, usually, the airlines want to see that you've like if I didn't get credit for some airline on a partner airline or something, they want to see a boarding pass. And while the digital boarding pass is a screenshot of is usually okay. It's usually really hard to get all the information in one screenshot, so I find that uh, taking a photo of the paper boarding pass for kind of historical sake is uh, pretty good. That's a, a very good bit of advice. Um, I haven't had any real need of a paper boarding pass for the last few years, but I suppose it also depends on the air, airlines and airports you fly through for that. Yeah. So that's Chris's bit of advice. Print out your boarding passes. Yes. Kill, kill more trees or use more recycled trees for, for your boarding passes. Recycled trees only. Recycled trees only. Good, good advice. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for that low-tech advice. I will go and print my boarding passes tomorrow for my trip to the U.S. on Wednesday. And, uh, again, thanks for being a guest on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast, and thanks to our listeners. And if you'd like to subscribe to the Tech Travel Geeks podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher, and any other podcast distribution service with good podcasts. Uh, You can also subscribe to Tech Travel Geeks on YouTube if you'd like to watch the unedited raw uh, podcasts uh, and actually look at the faces of the people who are on our podcast. So, again, thanks for listening, everyone. We will take a week off next week because Lukesh will still be in China and I will be on the west coast of the US. 
But if you want to really listen to my voice and also hear the the lovely tones of Jason Howell, Florence Ion, and Ron Richards, I'll be a guest on All About Android on Twit TV next week on September 25th. So thanks again for listening, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day.